Well, good morning. It's good to gather as the Lord's church on the Lord's day to sing praises to His name and to worship Him in the Word of God. And I pray that um, today you will find yourselves, church, strengthened by God's Word. Um, that's what it's, it's what it's about, and that's for our good and God's great glory. Um, if you've got your copy of God's Word, I invite you to go ahead and open it to the book of Romans. To the book of Romans, chapter number 15. Um, I know that is off-road. Um, I... Uh, how, how in the world, Pastor, did you end up in the book of Romans this morning when you keep telling us we're going back to our verse-by-verse verse journey through the book of Ephesians and you uh, fell over into the Proverbs and springed over into the Psalms? And how did you end up here? Well, I was driving, <laughs> which is what I do most of the day, all day long, and I was at an intersection, I think it was Chisholm and um, Cox Creek, I, I, somewhere on that road. I was at a red light, and I looked up, and behold, there was a bumper sticker in front of me. And the bumper sticker said, hope is not an option. Now, you can take that a couple of different ways. Um, I don't think looking at all the other bumper stickers on this person's vehicle, they were implying anything spiritual, okay? Um, I think what they meant by that and what that particular bumper sticker means is that, you know, hope's not an option. You just don't hope things will happen. You, you've got a plan. I think that's what they meant. I don't think there was anything spiritual behind that. But I hate that bumper sticker because hope is very important. Um, you know, I suppose you could take it and make a play on it. Say hope's not an option. Hope is the option. Okay? Um, hope's a very important thing. Um, it's very important in our life and in our growth as Christians in the New Testament church. And so that is how I ended up in Romans chapter number 15 verse number 13 specifically. So I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Um, Romans chapter 15, verse number 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You may be seated. That verse begins in hope, it ends in hope, it's saturated and set in a context of hope. And I would steal my title from the text this morning. We will call, we'll drop over this text this morning, Abounding Hope. We're going to call it parentheses part one um, because I'm going to have to come back here tonight and deal with some practical application of this idea of abounding hope. Wow. Um, this verse is a powerful and pertinent prayer by the Apostle Paul for the Roman church 
to be abounding in hope. Uh, And it's not just powerful and pertinent because he prayed it for the Roman church, but because what he prayed for them applies to us. What he prayed for them is true for the church despite our geographical location. Now, why? Well, hope abounding. Hope abounding is an important need for the church, for all of us at all times. Hope is essential for your spiritual survival. Absolutely necessary. Um, It is the practical factor that encourages the believer to press onward and endure the trials and afflictions of life. Without hope, we would crumble under the pressures of life and we might even find ourselves dying like Judas in a suicidal mess. But with hope. Hope abounding, hope like Paul is talking about here in this verse. With hope, this kind of hope. Our hearts cannot crumble even if 10,000 devils come against us. Not with this kind of hope. So what, what is hope? Um, we use that, you hear that term used in, in everyday conversation a, a good bit, but a lot of times in our cultural context, we, we use it in a way that's not the way that Paul's using it. We, we use it in a way of like uncertainty, like, um, well, I hope... I hope this or I hope that and and it's really just a mask for our unbelief. That is not the way Paul is using this word hope. This word that Paul uses, I'll give you a definition for it. It's, It's the pleasurable anticipation of the good that is guaranteed to come. Oh, that's real good. Let me say that again for you. When we speak of hope, when Paul uses this word hope, it is the pleasurable anticipation of the good that is guaranteed to come. Mm, marinate in that for a moment, okay? That's really good to know that. Um, this is the kind of hope that needs to be abounding within us. That it, This kind of hope abounding is what practically spurs us onward in perseverance to keep on keeping on in the very precious and often precarious walk of faith. Wow. Paul in the book of Romans, really in all of his letters, teaches us a good bit about hope. Um, Hope is, in the book of Romans alone, is a very significant thing. Uh, In gazing at at, at my concordance, I know that on one occasion I counted the word hope in the book of Romans alone some 23 times. So I'd say hope's a big deal. It's a significant theme. Um, just let me just just in the book of Romans alone. Since I'm in Romans, let me let me just let me just stick to Romans right now. 
let me read to you uh, just a few uses of the word hope in the book of Romans, um, apart from our text this morning. Um, in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope. The hope of the glory of God. What do we rejoice in? Hope. Okay. Um, Romans 8, verses 24 and 25, Paul writes these words. Um, For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Romans 12, verse 12. We're told hope or rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Romans chapter 15, verse number 4, on up in our text chapter that we're in. He says, for whatever was written in the former days, that's Old Testament, okay? For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Not an uncertainty, but the pleasurable anticipation of the good that is guaranteed to come. Wow. Now those are just a few samples. I mean, we've read you include the text for this morning. That's five out of about 23 times that Paul refers to hope. Um, my point in sharing these various hope references in Romans is simply to, to paint for you a picture that shows for you that hope is a big deal. Hope is a big deal. We are all in need of hope abounding. That is to say, hope overflowing. Yet, often, our hope doesn't look like that. Often, I would say, our, our hope is not abounding. It's more like hope trickling. Or worse, it's like hope receding. Or worse of all, it's like hope non-existent. And it ought not be. Um, we believers in the weaknesses of our flesh are easily duped by our own depravity and easily duped by the devil's schemes. Too often we permit hell's angels and um, the evil propensity within us to hijack our great hope and it ought not be. It should not be. And Paul's telling us and praying for us how it ought not be. And so today, today I feel compelled by the Scripture, by the Holy Spirit, to direct believers um, to the way of having a hope that is abounding, that is overflowing. We don't just, we don't just want hope that's static, <laughs> 
Hope that's constant. We don't want hope to, to be on the same playing, on the same level in our lives. We want hope to be abounding in our lives. And then my purpose also this morning is to direct those unbelievers. And you might be an unbeliever this morning. Oh, believing in church dogma and all that kind of stuff. Yes, but you're not regenerate. You're not born of God. And if you're an unbeliever in that sense, or, or somebody perhaps hears my voice over podcasts, they may be an unbeliever. My hope is to direct also unbelievers to the only source of abounding hope this morning. And so I want to this morning just zero in on verse 13, ex- extract truth out of the text. And then this evening when we return, we will not be dealing with eschatology this evening, but we will be soon enough, I promise you. But we're going to be staying in the book of Romans and staying at this verse, connecting this verse with some selected scriptures this evening and looking at some practical application of this verse. So, three truths I would herald to you this morning out of verse 13. I'll go ahead and give them to you. So those of you that like to write, and I apologize, I didn't do a PowerPoint for you this morning. But number one, I want you to see that God's person is the root. God's person is the root of hope abounding. He's the root of all hope. Um, Number two, I want you to see, uh, Christians, that believing God's promises is our responsibility in hope abounding or abounding hope. And number three, I want you to see that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's power is God's rule in abounding hope. So, number one this morning, God's person is the root of abounding hope. If, in, in verse 13... Paul clearly exposes the root of all hope. It's God Himself. It's God Himself. You see, in praying for the Roman Christians to abound in hope, he begins by addressing the source of all hope. Paul addresses, what's the language he uses? He calls God the God of hope. The God of hope. So the source of all hope, all peace and joy through believing, the source of all power to abound in hope, the pleasure of confident expectation and anticipation of the good to come is God Himself. If you remove God from the equation, you have no hope. Now you've got people that are chasing a thousand different hopes that are no hope at all and are all really the most hopeless of all people when all true hope is found in God Himself. He is the God of all hope. And it is the person of God that makes the anticipation of the good to come a pleasure. No matter what life's pain dishes you. Now, um, this 
clarifies for us the point that it is God, not scientific innovation, not moral rehabilitation, not self-help, not positive thinking, not money, power, or position, not religion, that there is nothing, absolutely nothing in all of creation that can provide hope but God Himself. And so a person must put their hope in God or they have no hope at all. Now, this creates a dilemma for those that are hopeless. This creates a dilemma for the lost sinner who perhaps might hear what I'm talking about. This creates an an issue here because to the hopeless sinner, if they're told to put their hope in God, that's really difficult because it is God who makes them, because of their sin, seem quite hopeless. Because to the hopeless sinner, God is a scary being. Rightly so. Because God is holy, holy, holy. And so you would tremble. Put your hope in God, we the church would say, but those with an awareness of their guilt, the guilt of their sin, they want to run away from God and hide from Him. We see that time and time again. We saw that in Revelation chapter 6. Lost sinners know that the day the wrath of the Lamb has come. And what do they do? Rather than run and rush into the arms of the Lamb, they run and cry out for the rocks to cover them out of their fear of the Lamb. That is the reaction of sinners. Perhaps a lost sinner that was raised in the church has just enough knowledge of the truth to know who God is that they tremble at their recollection of certain verses about the severity of God and the sternness of God. Perhaps they remember verses like Isaiah 34 verses 2 and 3 that tells us the Lord is enraged against all nations and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction. He has given them over to slaughter. The slain shall be cast out. The stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountain shall flow with their blood. This is the God we're telling them to find hope in. (laughs) They hear of this and say, woe is me. And rightly so. God wants to kill me. God wants to slaughter me. He slaughtered other sinners. Why will He not slaughter me? How can I find hope in Him. And I would say, yes, He will slaughter sinners apart from a miracle of grace. Now, listen carefully to me. You may not be a lost sinner in here this morning, but you, 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 you need to know how to talk to lost sinners. You tell them to find their hope in God, and they say, oh, I'd rather run from God. You tell them to find their hope in God. What what do you do? Well, let me tell you how you can find hope in a holy God. A hope that can 
on your heart and overflow into this thing called abounding hope. You see, at the end of verse 12 in Romans chapter 15, Paul quotes, before he gives us verse 13, he quotes from Isaiah 11 and verse 10. And what what does Isaiah 11 and verse 10 say? It says, For the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles will hope. Well, who is the root of Jesse? Who is the root of Jesse? Who will arise out of the Gentiles? Who is he talking about? He's talking about our Christ. And though we as sinners undone, condemned under the righteous wrath of God, ought to crumble and cry out for the rocks to cover us, we can run in repentance and find refuge in Christ who covers us as if we have never sinned, not once. Wow. Wow. Christ is the answer. Hopeless sinners, I would say, condemned before a holy God can find their hope in God because God the Son became man and satisfied the wrath we deserve so we can come to God and discover our great hope. In Jesus Christ, we discover a hope that is Beyond our words because Christ has become our propitiation. That is wrath bearer. Christ has become our advocate. That is, He not only has bore our sins, but now He stands in defense of us and owns us because we're covered in His blood. Wow. Wow. He has become our deliverer. And He is our giver. Of eternal life. So God is the root of all hope, and that hope is only known through the root of Jesse, Christ Jesus, our King and our Savior, the only begotten of the Father that came to save his people from their sins. So if you feel overwhelmed with the guilt of your sin today, praise God. Let that overwhelming sense of guilt drive you forcefully into the gentle arms of Christ, our Savior. That's what I would say. So, first of all, God is our hope. He is the root of all hope. That's why He's called the God of hope. And I just wanted to take a moment to explain to sinners who are very afraid of God because of the sense of their sin. I'm talking about those that are under conviction. Those that aren't under conviction are afraid of God. They could care less. But those that are under conviction, those that are feeling the weight of their sins, I want them to understand how this holy God instill the God of hope and that the God of hope and the God of holiness are not inherently contradictory. And it is Christ who makes that so. Wow. Number two, getting back to our text, verse number 13, and this is very significant for you, church. This is very informative. He tells us that believing God's promise is our responsibility in abounding hope. You see, we who have been born again have been stamped with a hope that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. 
But as I said earlier, it is not a static hope that we want. It is a hope that is to be abounding. This is why Paul is praying for this. It is is a hope that is to be overflowing. Our, our, Our lives should ideally be a picture of joy and peace that are leading us to this abounding hope. But in all honesty, hope abounding doesn't always describe us. We say with our lips and know with our hearts God is our hope. But we're not abounding in hope. I think it's because we feel disconnected from it. Behind the scenes with our families and our friends who know us best, would they describe us as joyful and peace abounding and hope? Is that how they would describe us, would they? I know once that... uh, The Holy Spirit came on me with deep conviction of the way I reacted to something that was going on in my life in front of of Angie. And all it was was really a pathetic display of grumbling and hope hijacking flesh. I was not reacting with hope abounding. And the Lord convicted me of that. You see, too often we respond to life not as a people full of joy and peace and abounding hope, but as if we were a depressed people, a fretful lot who abounds in dread and despair. And guys, I say that to all of our shame. We have the God of all hope inhabiting us if we're born again. If we, and, 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 and we dare not grow in the hope in life's trials and tribulations. Wow. Our great problem is that we are not walking by faith and discovering the joy and peace An abounding hope that comes from believing God, believing His promises, believing His Word. Instead, what do we do? Because it's easier to do this. We sit back and we grumble and we murmur and we complain. We say, why me? Why this? What now? Oh my and oh no. And we stay in that cycle. Rather than forgetting what is seen and looking to what is unseen... And taking God at His word. Now, look at our text. Verse 13. What does it tell us? It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. There's there's that in believing. Here's that faith thing. (laughs) Okay? In believing. Well, believing what? In believing, believing what? Well, believing the God of all hope and believing what was, according to verse 4 of chapter 15, because here's where you've got to stay in context, believing what? Well, according to verse 4, it says that there was something written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So we're talking about believing what the Word says, the promises that we have in the Word. 
We need to take God's Word and we need to believe His promises. And having believed His promises, hope encouraging promises, we have joy and we have peace. And the joy and peace of believing encourages, guess what? It encourages hope. And hope encourages our endurance. And our endurance... What does it do? It encourages, well, more hope. That's, we go back to Romans chapter 5 and verse 4. So we have at our disposal by faith the, the means to produce a perpetual cycle of hope that abounds and abounds and grows and grows and oh my. And let me tell you something. That ain't easy. It's, it's faith and guess what that is? It's a fight. It's a fight. But Paul is praying for it. I know it's God's will. And he's telling us how it is so from a practical end. And it is our responsibility, having been stamped with hope, to believe. Believe what? Believe what the Scriptures say about us. To believe the covenant promises we have in God. And through that we have joy and we have peace and we will abound in hope. Easier said than done. Nevertheless, that is the path. That is clearly laid out there in verse 13. Wow. Now, let me take a moment to be real with you in order to clarify something that will protect you from discouragement in this process of growing and abounding in hope. You see, when the scriptures speak of peace and they speak of, 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 of joy, and peace paving the way to abounding hope, it does not mean that all of life is going to be rosy and Pollyanna positive. Okay? Because some people think, well, if we're going to have this joy and we're going to have this peace and we're going to have this abounding uh, uh, hope that, well, nothing's going to weigh me down then. Well, <laughs> let's be real about something for a moment. Often people begin to dwell on the promises of God and then life brings some hurt, some pain. And they get hurt and so they get discouraged and they assume Christianity doesn't work or at least it doesn't work for me or something's wrong with me. Well, what we need is a sobering, realistic view of biblical joy and peace and hope that demonstrates that, demonstrates that joy and pain coexist and do not contradict one another. We see that in the Bible. We see that in the Bible. Um, I find it significant that Stephen Cole points this very thing out. And let me quote from him. He, said, he brings this out. He says, the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament is 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. But the shortest verse in the English New Testament is John 11.35. Jesus wept. 
There is no contradiction. And he goes on and says, Paul describes himself in 2 Corinthians 6.10 as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Guys, that's pretty powerful. Pretty powerful thought. You see, the joy and the peace and the hope that God perpetually provides for our good and our endurance is one that must be understood from an eternal perspective, not a temporal one. That's important. The hope and this joy and this peace is one that is persistent through pain, the pain of this present world. We believe God and sometimes we're healed and sometimes we're delivered and sometimes we're rescued in this present world. But other times, guess what? We get sick and we suffer and we die in this present world. But it is the eternal hope and eternal peace and eternal joy that propels us to keep on moving forward and not fall apart when it looks like everything else in our life is falling apart. You remember Jeremiah the prophet? Jeremiah looked out around him and I want you to understand he saw his whole world as he knew it crumbled. His world view was shattered with the Babylonian captivity. It'd be like you waking up one day, going outside and realizing America's no more. Society and culture, as you understand it, is no more. Jeremiah, looking at the ash heap of wreck and ruin of the Hebrew people, because he had witnessed Nebuchadnezzar destroying Jerusalem, destroying the temple, and slaughtering an estimated 600,000 Jews. He wept over this destruction. This, ain't, this is a big deal. He wept over it. Much of what he held dear, gone. Where's God in all that? What's he going to do? Well, in the midst of pain, in the midst of pain unimaginable, the the prophet directed his thoughts toward God. And he declared these words in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21, 22, 23, and 24. You know these words. He said, remember he's just, his, his whole world's falling apart. He's looking at all this pain. But this is what he says, verse 20. But this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. What's he called to mind? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. Woo! You feel that? Wow. It is in times such as a Babylonian captivity that genuine hope has the opportunity to abound. G.K. Chesterton said it best when he wrote these words. 
Hope means, and I quote him, hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery and platitude. It's only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. End quote. Wow. The joy of the Lord, the peace that passes all understanding, the hope that perpetually abounds to persistently encourage endurance, this joy and peace and hope does dwell in the midst of deep pain. This is what biblical hope does. Despite the suffering and the pain that ought to make you throw up your hands and end it all in a suicidal raid like Judas, those who have this kind of supernatural hope in their fiber cannot throw in the towel and will not throw in the towel, but will persevere through it all. In peace, in joy, because of a hope that is abounding. They push and they press and they fight the fight of faith. They may cry and they may scream and they may hurt, but for the joy that is set before them, they will endure it all. Was this not the way it was with our primary example in Jesus Christ? Is that not what He demonstrated? Christ suffered. Christ was beaten. Christ was nailed to a rugged Roman cross. Yet He did not give up. He persevered. He endured. And the writer of Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1, 2, and 3 puts it like this. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. There's our example. Christian, your responsibility in the cycle of hope, and this is what I'm trying to tell you with all this other stuff that I'm telling you, is believing God and discovering joy and peace in the midst of life's storms. But you've got to lay hold of those promises. And you've got to believe them. No matter what you see, You hold on to the unseen. You have a pleasurable anticipation of the good guaranteed to come. May not be present reality, but it's guaranteed to come. It's not like it might come, but it will come. That's faith. Okay? That's faith. Wow. You see, sometimes this means believing even when the present circumstances are contrary to God's promise. You remember Abraham and Sarah, right? Abraham and Sarah were promised Isaac. Well, in a potentially discouraging circumstance of finding themselves old with bodies beyond the normal ability to conceive, 
Abraham believed God anyway. What is what in Romans, in Romans chapter number four, verses 18 and 19, what, is, what, is, what are we told there? It says this, talking about Abraham, it says, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Wow. In other words, he didn't look out at his outward circumstances and say, well, this is impossible. I'm going to just sit down and suffer in my disbelief. He said, nope, I've been given a promise. It's guaranteed. It's good. It's going to come. I am believing God. Now he wait. Yes, he struggled. That's why we had the whole Ishmael and, and Sarah and all. I mean, and, and Hagar and all that. That's that's the that's where you where you're not. He was not believing in that moment the way he should. He was trying to help God out. But we learned the lesson of keeping your hands off of it. And taking God at His word and trusting Him and holding on, okay, to the good that is guaranteed to come. Wow. Wow. Number three. The Holy Spirit's power is God's rule in this thing called abounding hope. Again, what does our text say? I'll read it again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You see, the Holy Spirit is the rule of power in hope abounding. We don't work it up. We don't manufacture this hope. Rather, the Holy Spirit produces this hope, this supernatural endurance encouraging hope. And you see, the Holy Spirit rules in the realm of faith. Therefore, as we believe God's promises, the Holy Spirit is at work in the midst of that faith. And the Holy Spirit is the source of that power. Just like Paul prayed for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, where he prayed for spiritual strength. He prayed that through the power of his spirit, Christ might dwell in your hearts more and more through faith. And he was talking to save people when he said that. And so, in believing, we have joy and peace, which, by the way, those are fruits of who? Galatians 5, 22, that's the fruit of who? Speak forth, O silent ones. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And in believing, we encounter the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit that we may abound in hope. Wow. That's all I'll say about that. I'll close by saying this morning, if you're without hope and you're in need of genuine hope, then turn to Christ, who is the hope of all nations. And believers, if you are here 
My longing for you is that the seed of hope that is planted in you would grow as you believe God's word. A seed of hope fertilized by the joy and peace that comes with believing. And ultimately, hope that abounds in the power of the Holy Spirit perpetually as you press on in the troubles and in the trials of life. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you that you are the God of all hope. And that, Father, it is your will for us to discover joy and peace in believing what was written for our instruction that we might find hope. And then, Father, You are so good and so gracious that as we, Lord, exercise that faith in Your promises and in Your Word, You empower us all the more through the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that this would be true for each person here. I pray, Father, again, as I've already spoken of, for those sinners that are lost without Christ, that, Lord, they would discover this great hope in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Father, for those that have discovered that, I pray for their growth in hope. I pray for a death to despair and uh, to death, to uh, being, uh, Lord, fretful over things when you have promised and guaranteed an eternal good. Lord, may we find our joy in you and in your word all the more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.